Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Spectrum Stories on the GNR Network. I'm your host, Raleigh Biggs. We want to welcome our listeners in the United States and around the world. Today, I am joined by Dr. John Paul. He is a speaker, educator, and thought leader with over 10 years experience in education, social justice, and grassroots movements. Dr. John is focused on public speaking and working with media on issues centered around people of color, LGBTQ storytelling, and marginalized communities. He is committed to using his voice to fight to highlight and to bring focus to issues of both the Black and LGBTQ communities. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So, Dr. Paul, your story is one that is a fair and embracing the power to be yourself. Can you tell us a little bit more about your mission and what inspired you to be the advocate you are today? Yeah, so talking a little bit about my experience in relation to, you know, both being queer and an African-American individual, I think it's very rare that we actively see queer and black people talk about what their lives look like um, and how they, you know, love, live, how they connect with others, um, and how systems of oppression or how systems that are at play affect them. And so, Throughout my life and throughout a lot of the work that I do, I'm actively trying to center the movement around being more upfront and more open and vocal about the needs that black queer individuals have, specifically black queer men, knowing that uh, my lived experience, you know, I, I share this often. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm too black to be queer, and then on other ends of the spectrum, I feel like sometimes I'm too queer to be black. So, you know, kind of dumbing coming through both of those lived experiences, um, I can oftentimes feel very invisible in a lot of the life that I'm in. And I think that's the reason why I'm so passionate about the work that I do in bringing visibility to the experiences that I have is because ultimately um, society and my lived experience hasn't allowed me that space to actively openly talk about my experience and, 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 and talk to people about ways that certain systems of oppression affect me in, in my lived experience. So, yeah. Absolutely. So for people who don't necessarily know, oftentimes when someone is other than Caucasian or white in the LGBTQ community, they're not as accepted by the community, which is a horrible thing. So tell me some about what it's like for you being a person of color, also being LGBTQ. Have you run into any roadblocks along the way where you didn't get accepted because of the color of your skin? 
Yeah. So it's a very interesting um, journey for me, I think, in terms of talking about my experience. When I first came out, there were things that were happening, especially with being in college, right, being a college student, trying to make sense of what my life looked like as a first-generation college student. There were things happening to me at the college level, and I, I would talk to other people, and folks would say, oh, you know, you're just angry or you're just upset. You can't be mad at the world. And I think what made it really hard for me was, um, struggling to be able to make sense of like, okay, I don't see anyone else going through these issues. Why is that I'm going through them? And so trying to get people to understand where my frustration and where my anger came from. And then getting to a place where folks would oftentimes, I like to use the word gaslight me, where, you know, specifically thinking about, you know, the whole concept of social media. Social media was becoming very popular around the time that I was in my undergraduate experience. And so when I first started dating, men saying no black, no fat, no femme, right? So they didn't want someone who was who identified as feminine. They didn't want someone who was African-American. Um, and they specifically didn't want anybody who was large. And for me, I was all three of those things. So it made it very difficult for me to date or to feel comfortable in the LGBTQ scene. And so as I got older and I started doing research and I started uh, learning and talking to other folks about their experiences, I started noticing that a lot of folks were you basically, you know, checkmarking a lot of the experiences I've had and saying, yeah, I've had that experience too. I've been through that as well. And so I think for me, you know, talking about what has my experience ultimately been, now specifically knowing that I have a lot of research and I have a lot of theories and concepts that can support these different systems that are at play that ultimately affect me as a black queer male, um, I'm very active in speaking up against them. And I, I, I will say I do, my partner is white, but I, I, I talk to people about this idea that in society we – there's a fine line between loving white people and there's a fine line between loving whiteness. And so for me and my journey and all of the things that I do, I am constantly trying to break down what whiteness looks like, whether that's white supremacy or whether that's um, issues of injustice, uh, power and privilege, how privilege shows up in the LGBTQ community, specifically for me as a queer black man. And then ultimately, too, how, um, how other folks are being silenced in the community when they speak out against the different moments of injustice that they experience, you know, similar to the story I shared with you about the no fat, no femme, no black. And so um, knowing that, my biggest thing is just constantly bringing attention to that and wanting people to understand that it's not about me being angry, but it's about me being upset with the injustice that I've experienced within my own trajectory of my intersection. Right. And have you, during your lived experiences and during the process of talking to others about their lived experiences, seen that it's getting better for people of color who are also a member of the LGBTQ community, or is it still a constant battle? Battle, I think. You know, I just came off of, like I told you earlier today, I did a keynote today, and it's very interesting, the questions and the conversations that came up, just talking about what it's like to be both black and queer. And for a lot of folks, you know, there are a lot of black and queer men who are not coming to the table and saying, I want to talk openly about this because they fear, you know, their families turning away from them. They fear the injustice of, you know, possibly losing their jobs or losing, you know, other loved, you know, loved ones, whether they be friends or, you know, chosen family members. And so I am constantly at a place where I'm recognizing that in, in different facets of the work that I do, I think that there is this struggle for a lot of black individuals, specifically black and queer, 
men to make sense of their intersectional experiences. And even though I find that there are folks who are more vocal about the injustices that happen around the intersectional experiences, I do find that there are folks who are a lot more quiet about it because they ultimately fear um, what potentially could come their way. And so um, just thinking about it, you know, just thinking about it from the perspective of being black is already difficult for, for, for many people being that there's so much injustice here in America around blackness and there's so many different spaces that are extremely anti-black. And then, you know, going to your family that, that has this belief or this religious ideal that, you know, you have to subscribe to a certain type of way being a person of color and, and then you add into the idea that Christianity or religion doesn't accept the LGBTQ piece, it can be very, very difficult to navigate your lived experience. And so um, are things getting better? I, I would have to say slowly but surely they are in terms of people being more open and more willing to talk about what their experiences look like. I'm thankful for that. But are we at a place where, you know, where we were a couple of years ago? Um, I, I feel like the conversation is really just starting, and I, I don't think that we've moved as far as we possibly could be at this point in time. Absolutely. That's the case for so many members of the LGBTQ community. But like you said, add in the fact of another marginalized group in society and you add in a whole other layer of conflict and turmoil that people just have to learn to accept and deal with. So Mm -hmm. you do a lot of advocacy work and have been involved in grassroots movements for over 10 years now. So Tell our listeners more about the work you've done and what kind of impact it's had on both your life and the lives of others. Yeah. Well, some of the grassroots movement. So, I mean, for a few years I worked with the GSA Networks of Los Angeles, the Gay Straight Alliance, um, or actually now they're the Gender and Sexuality Alliance of of Los Angeles. um, And uh, and doing that work, I I would used to work with their camps. Um, you know, during the summer, being able to uh, basically activate, you know, young young students that are in, you know, K through 12, um, doing a lot of work around helping them to understand their experiences within the K through 12 system and advocating for them as they talk about what justices they face and helping them to navigate what it means to be doing social justice work in, in their schools. That's one of the things that really started kind of that, that activated me to want to get into the work of constantly advocating for other black and specifically black queer people of color. Um, so that was initially a couple of years ago, but some of the things that I've done recently, I'm currently on a board um, it's called the Inland Region um, Equality Network, and being on that board, I'm, I'm constantly in this area of, of California looking for uh, moments of injustice and looking for opportunities for us to kind of show up and be allies for folks who um, are having issues or having problems, whether it be from a business perspective or a school or an identity issue, you know, when they're just out and about. Whatever the case may be, you know, Iron has been very much a proponent of let's make sure that the Inland Empire specifically is a safe and inclusive place for LGBTQ people to live, considering and knowing that we do have a high population of people of color. Uh, the other thing that I, you know, sort of I, I was getting involved with is the Inland Resistance, um, and, and I walk, I actually marched with them a couple of weeks ago, the same day that the Women's March happened across the world. I was a very strong proponent of wanting to march with the Inland Resistance group because I felt like it was important for me to march with a team of people who, one, represented me, so knowing that there were going to 
the strong number of people of color marching, but specifically knowing that that march was led by a, a queer Chicano woman, that meant a lot for me in relation to that. And then lastly, just knowing that it's in my backyard at home. And so even with all the stuff that I've been doing, I was just telling someone, Shirley, I've been literally all over the country maybe the last year, last year and a half, um, speaking and, and working with groups and consulting, but I always come back to the Inland Empire because the Inland Empire, for me, is one of those places that are always under the radar, but I think at the end of the day has the most, um, is one of the most richest places to be in terms of the experiences that one can have and get. So um, I think at the end of the day, what does it mean for me to be involved in these grassroots, these grassroots organizations or to be connected to what I consider my home is this idea of knowing that um, where I've come from or what I'm doing is where I've come from. I'm a proponent of a city, of, a, of, a, of an area of a state that is very, very underserved in a lot of different areas. There's a high rate of crime. Oftentimes in the Union Empire, there's a lot of um, issues around um, injustice when it comes to people of color, but I am rooted in making sure that people of color, specifically queer people of color, see someone like myself who says, yes, I can go out to New York, I can fly out to, you know, Charlotte, wherever I'm going and do this work, but I'm still going to come back and keep my home, you know, centered in the work that I'm doing. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's a very important thing to do because, so many times you hear people saying, oh, well, I'm struggling where I'm living, and so I'm just going to pick up and move and go on. And while that like seems to be the easiest thing to do, if Definitely. everyone just picked up and moved on, mm-hmm. nothing is going to get better there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. while traveling around, you're still able to spread the message of your hometown and say, look, this is what I know is going on here. And this is what I need you to help me with so that I can go back and make where I live a better place. Yep, definitely. So what would you say to any person of color in the LGBTQ community, young adult or youth who could be listening or hear this at some point? You know, I think there's one thing that, you know, we all, you know, we all know about the It Gets Better Project. We know about there are a lot of projects out there that really like to tell queer youth that, you know, things are going to change, things are going to get better. Um, and then sometimes we look at what's going on in the news and we look at what's going on around the world, and it can be very, very um, oblique for us in terms of thinking about, well, you know, I have one one side of the world, you know, one side of this, this life telling me that it's going to get better and that as I progress um, that, you know, my life will somehow become easier to deal with. And then there's, you know, the other subtle pieces, again, knowing we have a president who is definitely not about, um, you know, rights for really anybody at this point. They're definitely very anti um, a lot of things, right? How do you, how does a queer individual, specifically a queer, a queer person of color who might be young, you know, navigate this life in a way that's going to be silly for them? And like I've stated today in my talk, I said the number one thing that I like to tell people is that, yes, the fight is always going to be there, but it's the importance of you saying that my existence is resistance in itself. And the reason why I utilize that as one of my quotes, I've always said that my existence is resistance, is that I recognize that in any space that I come into, whether it's education, whether it's a job, whether it's consulting, whether it's just walking into a grocery store, society and life has told me on several accounts that I should not be here. As a black person, I'm reminded every single day that 
my life can t- be taken away from me in, in a blink of an eye. As a queer person, we, we know what happened with Matthew Shepard. We know what happened with um, Harvey Milk. All of these individuals who have been assassinated, we know the story of, of the rhetoric around LGBTQ people of color, even specifically shouting out Bayard Rustin and knowing that he was silenced in a lot of the work that he did, right? So knowing that there's going to always be this element of struggle that's there by you just showing up, you're ultimately resisting and saying, I'm still here and I'm still going to live and love and work in my truth. And that's the one thing that I face a lot of my work around. I'm very proud to be who I am. I'm very proud to be where I've come from. San Bernardino has one of the highest uh, crime rates second to Detroit. And while it's easy for me to harp on that, San Bernardino is also one of the most beautiful places that I could say I grew up because of all of the experiences that I had because of it. And so not looking at your life, you know, I would say my real message is telling people don't look at your life and count all of the negatives, but think about the way those negatives have influenced your positives. And for me, I've been able to do that. I've been able to take a lot of nothing and I've made something out of it. I think it's even interesting just to think that someone who is from a city that a lot of people don't even really talk about now has, you know, literally traveled across the state and has spoken at schools and left lasting lasting impressions on students, staff, and faculty, and that's very rare that you ever hear that. And I'm hoping that my message and, and and my model and everything that I ascribe to will one day go global, and that's what, I, I, that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for my message and my, my visibility to become someone else's comfort one day and knowing definitely that the more that I speak out, the more I'm going to resist the systems that are put in place to keep me oppressed. Absolutely. So your message for LGBTQ youth would be to be comfortable in your own skin. Is that correct? Not only just that, but to keep fighting. You know, don't get comfortable. Don't just get comfortable in your own skin, but own your skin and be be ready for the fight that that's going to continue to be there, and know that you're going to be able to to take on and and win anything that comes your way. Absolutely. So you brought it up. I wasn't going to bring up a lot of politics, but you mentioned the president. So tell mm-hmm. me what you're feeling right now about some of the executive orders we know have been passed or that are coming, so, like so talking about doing reversing administration's order on transgender students being able to use the bathroom and have already talked about marriage and just all kinds of things. So what are your immediate thoughts, reactions, concerns, and fears surrounding the next four years? Yeah. Well, you, you know, you say thoughts, concerns, and fears. I know the one thing that is easy to do is to become very fearful, but I recognize that for me as a, as a person of color who is constantly fighting in different avenues of my life, um, I, I don't want to give someone that much, that much power. And so I think for me, you know, I hear these things coming down the pipeline, and, yes, I do get worried, but the one thing that I will never say is that I'm scared because at the end of the day, that's what, supremacy, any type of supremacy and oppression thrives on. It thrives on the notion that someone, somebody, some people are afraid. Um, And so I think for me, it's like, go ahead and do what you have to do, but I'm prepared to do what I have to do to make sure that I can maintain and and move about this life. So that's the first part. But I think some of the other things that really come up for me, when I hear these things, you know, I I think about the help, the very last scene of the help, where... um, when Viola Davis' character looks at the woman as she's walking out the door and she just goes, you're, you're a godless woman. Aren't you tired? You know, ain't you tired? 
And that's what I feel about this administration. In two months, I mean, you, you spent two and a half years demeaning people and making people feel small and making people feel like they don't matter. You know, and now you've spent two and a half months, you know, putting ordinances and doing different things into play that ultimately oppress people further. And it's like, you know, you, you've got, there's got, you know, where's your heart? Like, where, like, even for me, just to be angry at people, that's taxing on me as a person. So I can only imagine to be this hateful 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week, 365 of the year, that's going to be taxing on somebody. And so, um, you know, that, that's the thing for me is that, you know, I, I, I recognize there are people who support him and support his, mes- his mission and his message. I, on the other hand, I have no problem with men. I've never even said, you know, I did, I, I'll be very honest, I did not vote for him, and I didn't vote for him because ultimately the message that he preaches is a message that I don't stand on. That is the reason why I, didn't, um, I did not, you know, go that route with that. But what I will say is that at the end of the day, I think it's imperative and it's important for us to recognize that this, you know, as much as it may seem like what he's doing is dividing the nation, um, to continue to find people who believe and who support you and support your mission, link up with those people and start movements. And I know people go, oh, protesting won't do anything. Yeah, well, protesting was what initially got that ban knocked off. Um, working with the ACLU was, uh, was, you know, one of the ways that we were able to actually stop that Muslim ban. So thinking about it from that perspective, find people who are extremely intelligent. I'll be very honest, I don't, I, you know, when, when, when things come up around politics, I can't always navigate politics the way that other folks can because that's not my field of my field of study. But what I can do is be a critical thinker and find people who are critical thinkers like myself who might know politics and might be able to do something and change something. So, you know, my ultimate message and when I think about politics right now is that I think it's very honestly it's all trash and there are a lot of hateful things that are happening and a lot of sad things that are happening, but at the end of the day, I don't see it as, oh, you're dividing the nation. I'm looking at it from the standpoint that I'm finding allies and I'm finding people in different, you know, areas of my life who are ultimately wanting to work with me to make sure that these things never happen again. And so that's where my mind is that I'm actively seeking out those spaces to work with people who genuinely want, you know, who are genuinely there to work for my liberation. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that we can do in our lives is to not sit back and watch as things take place. We all know that protest, while a lot of people say they do not work, history tells us, yes, they do, because you look back at Stonewall. Yeah. The protest worked. Like you said, mm-hmm. you look back at the Muslim ban, it worked. And yeah. there's countless and countless examples of that method actually working and getting the greatest cause. You look at the mm-hmm. Women's March, where you had millions, and it worked. So yeah. I and absolutely you can, agree with you. Yeah. yeah, when you can get people, I'm sorry to cut you off, when you can just get people to to act, that's the thing I'm I'm pushing in my message. Just do something. And it doesn't even have to be much. You know, I, I tell people social justice looks different across the board. Not everybody is at a place where they can grab you know, uh, uh, they can grab a poster and get outside and march, you know, for, for what they feel is freedom. 
But, you know, it is enough for you to write your senator. You can send an email. You can make a phone call. You can send money to the ACLU. I've sent quite a few dollars, a few of my dollars to the ACLU. Look for ways to be able to support movements by the way that you can. And I think that that's the number one thing. We have to start looking at it from the place of this doesn't affect me. Yeah, it does affect you because down the line it's going to affect you one way or the other. So looking for those opportunities to how, for how you can do it in your own way. Absolutely. There's no one way to be an advocate or an activist for anything. Um, So what's next for you? I know you said you travel constantly. You just did something today. Is there anything else on your radar that you're working on that's coming up in the near future? Mm So um, near future for me, um, I am looking at Again, a few more uh, a few more speaking opportunities have come my way, and I'm, I'm actively navigating those. Um, I will be giving a TEDx talk locally here in the city of Long Beach, um, at Long Beach, California, in, in April. So that's a big thing for me. My TEDx will happen there, and then shortly after that, there's a couple of conferences I'm presenting at wanting to write some articles around intersectional experiences of queer people of color. Um, that'll probably be happening in the next couple of months. And then um, I'm kind of finalizing. I don't want to say the organization because I, I just want to make sure that all of the ink is dry and that every all of the thumbs are up before I actively say it out public. But I'm actively uh, kind of wrapping the deal with an organization where I'd be working with their leadership team um, for a very, 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 very prominent program that, uh, that, that works with college students. So um, I'm looking forward to all of those opportunities. Um, I, 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 the sky is really the limit for me right now. I'm praying and hoping that one day I can land an endorsement deal with an organization that will really allow me to use my voice as a pillar for change. Um, you know, specifically being a change agent and being someone who believes in what um, the, the, the power of owning your personal self and your personal power. So I'm just hoping that, you know, as, as the next couple of months go by, my name and my work will land with the right hands and I can actively continue to keep doing what I love in terms of, you know, speaking and traveling and talking with people about ways to make this life better for those who are who are constantly marginalized. But, yeah, that's really it in a nutshell. In other words, you are going to become very, very busy in the next few months, which is a very good thing because you do have a very powerful message and story to share. Mm-hmm. That is it. <laughs> so I know I asked you this before, but we're coming down close to our time for today. So anyone listening out there who is a person of color who's feeling marginalized and then also a person of color who is LGBTQ, if you could only say one thing to them, what would it be? Fight. Fight. Mm-hmm. Be ready to fight and recognize that that doesn't mean literally hitting someone. <laughs> it means being fight with, you know, knowing laws, fight with, you know, knowing your rights, uh, fight for knowing other people's rights and what can be done and what can't be done. But, yes, be ready to fight in all facets of your life. Absolutely. And if you're not aware of where to fight or who to fight for, be sure to check out ACLU's website. They have links to all kinds of marginalized groups and what the rights are surrounding that group. So that's a great place to get started. 
and they have all kinds of resources and ways you can get involved with their organization or other organizations. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to tell our viewers or listeners who could be struggling or a call to action even? Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. You kind of cut out. So, I said, is there anything that you could want to tell our listeners of like a call to action and what the best way to get involved in activism if they've never done it before? Yeah, I would say find the things that your passion is about. Um, One of my biggest call to actions right now is just being vocal. I think that's the biggest thing, being vocal about your experiences, being vocal about the injustices that happen to you. Um, You know, I always frame my thoughts around, Audrey Lord's, you know, piece about silence uh, will not protect you. You know, silence is definitely not going to protect anyone these days. And so um, find things that you actively want to speak out on. If it's, you know, your Muslim, if it's about being Muslim, if it's about being black, brown, um, the idea of interracial marriage and interracial equality, um, anything that's going to affect you from a personal level, um, one of my favorite things is that the personal is political. And so at the end of the day, my call to action is that if it's personal to you, make it political. Get out there. Tell people, you know, this is an injustice to me because of my lived experience, and I'm here and I'm ready to, to speak up about it. Um, I am so fortunate because even in just the, the short time of me starting Dr. John Paul and creating the, the little bit of a following that I have, um, I'm so fortunate to know that there are people who've been re- who've reached out to me and said, "Thank you so much for using your voice for my, you know, for my benefit. Thank you so much for speaking up about the injustices that happen in higher ed. Thank you for speaking up about the injustices that happen in the LGBTQ community as a person of color. Um, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do that, and I'm so thankful that I can encourage others to do the same thing. So yes, just again, find something you're passionate about." Find the people and the places that can help move your message along, and just don't don't get silent. Don't you know? Be vocal, be loud, be you know. Again, make it make the personal political. Absolutely, I'd like to thank you for coming on today. You're more than welcome to come on anytime you have a message to share. You've been listening to Gay News America Spectrum Stories. I'm your host, Roddy Biggs. Today. We heard from Dr. John Paul about his amazing work he's doing for black people of color who identify as queer. And keep up the great work, John. And I hope to hear from you again very soon. For sure. It's great It's great hearing from you as well, and I hope you have a great day. You too. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.